Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Earlier this morning during the worship service, I read to you out of Luke chapter 2, and I'm just going to reread verse 32. It says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that today you saw incense pouring out of this building, God. I pray that you are hearing the prayers of your loved ones, your children. And God, I pray that you would just help me be adequate in delivering the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Luke is just one book of 66 books in this book we call the Bible. It is not one book. It is rather 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents and three different languages. And I'm here to tell you that it has one single solitary message, and I'm going to deliver that message to you today. If you look through this book and you study, you'll find out that 50% of it is composed of uh, the history of humanity. 25% of it gives us admonitions on how we are to live our life. And 25% is made up of what is coming. And today I want to take you through a walk of history. I've, I've talked to you about the fullness of time. In week one, I introduced you the concept of time and how that God had no beginning. He has no end. And for us, we don't understand that because we wake up each morning when the sun comes up. Uh, we go to bed shortly after it goes down and we date ourselves on this 24-hour calendar, but I'm here to tell you one day you'll leave this mortal body and you will enter into eternity, and when you do that, there will, no be, there will be no more days, there will be no more months, there will be no more years, there will just be. And then maybe, possibly, we might understand it. Then last week I shared with you a concept of the times of the Gentiles. Jesus talked about this. History demonstrates this. And during this time of the Gentiles, there was this pause put on the nation of Israel. And God put all of his effort and energy into a concept called the church. Not just this church, but the church. That has been in existence for 2,000 years. This week I want to introduce you to the fullness of Jerusalem. This past week in our small group Bible studies, we're going through this book here called Everyday Theology. And if you have the book, you'll remember on page 50, it talked about different covenants. And the first covenant was the Adamic covenant, and this was in Genesis chapter 3. This explains why humanity is in peril the way that it is. This explains why um, evil exists. The next covenant was the Abrahamic covenant, 
And I want to start there today. In 4,000 B.C., God, I'm sorry, in 2,000 B.C., God approached a man by the name of Abram. And I want you to understand there was nothing special about Abram. The thing that made him special was that God chose him. Abram was 100 years old, and God told him he was childless, and God told him that he would be a father of the greatest nation that has come. Abraham didn't quite know what to do with that because his wife was beyond childbearing years. And they tried to help God out, and that didn't work out that well for them. Let me read to you in Genesis chapter 15. Matter of fact, if you would open up your um, hot sheet note taker, you will see in here that this week on the note taker, there is a map. And on that, uh, you see that it references Genesis 15, 18 through 21. I'm going to read these words to you out of that passage. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and Girgashites, and Jebusites. It's a lot of sites. And it was all given to this man named Abraham. If you know anything about the nation of Israel, you know that it takes up a lot of the news coverage. There is a lot of hate that is spewed towards the nation of Israel. As you look at that map, you see this little red piece of property, no bigger than the size of New Jersey. And you, you have to ask yourself, why all the hate? Just a, a small piece of land? Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 3, explain to us what's going on. Let me read those words to you. Folks, I'm going to be reading a lot of God's Word, um, and I would encourage you, uh, keep this note-taker out, and if, if it's not on here, write it down. You will not be able to keep up with me, even the best of you today. So I encourage you to write those down and go back and watch this again and dig in to God's Word. Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord. We've been singing about the different names of the Lord. Let me give you the description that Zechariah gave to the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth. You have your note taker, you look on the front cover, it says right there, the creation. Do we believe that the earth is billions and billions of years old? Uh, folks, I believe what the Bible says, and it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And folks, I believe that it was about 6,000 years ago that he did that. And founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for the, all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves and all the nations of the earth who will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse. 
Now, folks, I want you to understand that Ezekiel was prophesying these words while Israel was in Babylonian captivity. Iraq had conquered the world at that point in time, and they are now in what is a 70 years of exile. And so he's not talking about that present day. Ezekiel was talking about a day or days to come. So again, I ask you, why all the hate? Since the founding of the United Nations, 55% of all its resolutions have dealt with Israel. That little country the size of New Jersey. Why all the hate? In May of 2021, I said that May of 2021, between the 10th and the 18th of that month, 3,400 rockets were launched against the nation of Israel. I ask you, you didn't hear much about that, did you? Could you imagine 3,400 rockets being launched against the United States? We would have heard something about it. 3,400 rockets and nothing. If you expand that parameter more than those eight days, there was over 4,000 rockets in that month. What explains this irrational obsession with the Jews in Jerusalem? Is it just that 4,000-year-old sibling rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael? You know, in uh, scholarship, we, we attribute it to that. We see that, but I think it's much bigger. I think that what we are talking about is God's end-time clock, and today I want to share with you something that should get us excited here at Crossroads Church and all across this nation. And I want to start off with sharing this with you, and that is that Israel, when we look at her, you see an hour hand. Now, imagine a clock, and it has that hour hand, and sometimes that hour hand doesn't move very fast. Let me walk you through the history of Israel. In 2000 BC, as I mentioned, Abraham was chosen. If you want the Cliff Notes version of what I'm telling you today, you'll find it in Acts chapter 7. I won't be reading from there, but if you read through that chapter, you'll see the entire history of that nation. What I'm going to do is actually go and show you the scriptures of each one of these statements that I'm about to make or these time uh, dates. Genesis 15, I read 18 through 21. You see the blue lines on that map. That is the land that God gave to Israel. They have never had that, that land. Even in its heyday, it was not even one-third of that land coverage. But a day is coming when they'll get every acre. In 1850, you may remember the story of Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And Genesis 50 and verse 20 says these words, to, and these are words that he proclaimed to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. But the story didn't stop in Egypt, although they were there for a couple of centuries. And in around 1440, there was a man named Moses, 1440 B.C., he delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. And as they were leaving and going into the, getting ready to go into the promised land after spending 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, 
God gave some instructions to Moses, and we find these in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. I'll read, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits, and in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the Lord. A Sabbath to the Lord, you shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. And I got to tell you, when this was pronounced and given to the Israelites, after a few centuries in Egypt, I, I imagine they said, no problem. We, we can handle that. They're coming out of slavery. They're being delivered and rescued. And in 1400 B.C., Joshua begins to lead them into this promised land. And another admonition was given to them right before this in Deuteronomy 4, 25 through 28. It says, when your fathers or when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left Few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Coming out of the centuries of bondage in Egypt, I'm sure their message was no problem, God. We got this. You know, I, I think of uh, when it talked about the, the Sabbath and how that they were told to set aside a year. If you're a farmer, that doesn't make any sense. There's no logic to that. But as I've shared with you many times, in God's economy, it just works. We see a very prominent example of putting God first in a business in the form of Chick-fil-A. Boy, Chick-fil-A, if you enjoy their chicken, you'll be disappointed if you show up on Sunday because they're closed. They've done that intentionally to set that day aside as a day of rest. Not that it is the Sabbath day, but it is a form of a Sabbath. While the world fell apart during COVID and businesses scrambled, Chick-fil-A has thrived. There's, it's hard for you to drive past one and not see a line around the building through the parking lot into the neighboring businesses' parking lots. Now, many people will say, well, they have incredible customer service. Yes, they do. But I want you to know, I don't believe for a second that it's the customer service that they have received the blessings that they have. Children of Israel were given the same thing. Set aside one year out of every seven. No problem, God, we got this. Till they got that farm. Still, they got that first year's harvest. They praised God. Got that second year's harvest. They gave God all the glory. They got the third and the fourth and the fifth year. And they gave all the credit to Jehovah, who had got them out of the land of Egypt. 
And then in the seventh year, they planted the crops. You know, I think that probably the way this worked out is not everybody did it that seventh year. Probably just a couple of uh, rebels. And they planted and they got a harvest. And you know what? They had a better house the next year. They had a... And our neighbors noticed that. And so six years later, they decided, you know what, uh, nothing ha- bad happened to Joseph, so you know what, we're going to do this too. And the entire nation of Israel forgot what God had told them. And they didn't set aside any of their years. Fast forward to 960 B.C. and King David captures the capital of Jerusalem for the nation of Israel. We read about it in 2 Samuel 5, 6-10. through 10, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. You know that was one of the groups in that list in Genesis chapter 15. The inhabitants of the land who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. And the reason why they said that was they thought that the uh, fortress that they had was impregnable. There was nobody that could conquer them. And nobody had conquered them. And they said to themselves, David can't come in here. Matter of fact, they mocked him and they said, the blind and the lame could ward you off if they were in this facility. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and blind who are hated by David's soul. Folks, tonight, if you'll come back at 5 o'clock, I'm going to share with you, and you're going to, a, a video clip, and you'll see that very water shaft that they came in. The blind and the lame shall not come into the house, and David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from Millo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. If you look at that map again, and you see that blue area, the largest area that they ever had was under the reign of King David. Fast forward another 500 years in 615 B.C. And Jeremiah 29.10 prophesies about the Babylonian exile. It says, verse 10. Now, when I think about Jeremiah 29, we all can quote verse 11. That says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We know that verse, but we forget Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. The reason why they were there for 70 years is because 490 years, they never set aside the land and gave it rest. I would tell you that there are things that you know that you are supposed to do as a Christ follower and, and you, you sneak it in and you look around and you don't see the judgment of God. But I want you to know, just like the children of Israel for 490 years thought they were getting by with it, and then they weren't. I don't know what the fullness of time for you is in your life, but I'm here to tell you that if you go against God's word, if you go against God's direction, there will be a payday someday. Mark 
Not my word for it, mark God's word for it. At the end of this 70 years in Babylon, Daniel was given some information. In Daniel chapter 9, and verse 24 through 27, it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So I'm not Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build, after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Do you, have you ever wondered where the wise men came from that showed up to honor and worship Jesus? These were men that followed in the teachings of Daniel. They weren't Jewish, but they had been told by Daniel in 445 or, or earlier that this would happen. 62 weeks of seven years, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. This one week that I'm referring to here covers more in Scripture than any other time period written. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolate. Timeline has shown us this. And if you uh, open up to the, the, the cover here and open up to the inside, you'll see there the decree to rebuild Judah. Daniel 9.25 I just read. On March 14th and 445 B.C., the children of Israel, there was a decree made for them to go and rebuild Jerusalem. That's 69 weeks of seven years for a total of 483 years. And under the uh, Jewish calendar, they didn't use the solar uh, calendar. They used a lunar calendar, which is 360 days long, which was a total of 173,880 days. If you plug that into a calculator, if you come tonight, I'll share that with you. On April 6th, AD 32, Jesus Christ was presented as the Messiah. And they missed it. When the Messiah came, Revelations 12, verses 1 through 6 read this way, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. This is talking about Israel, the nation. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. This is talking about none other than Satan himself. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled in the wilderness where she was, has been a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. 
these six verses in Revelation chapter 12, and this is one of the things that makes um, prophecy hard to understand. It's not talking about something that happened in chronological order because it talks about the nation of Israel giving birth to Jesus, the Messiah. Then it talks about something that happened before the earth was created when Satan was cast down to the earth and brought a third of the angels with him. And then it fast forwards to the end of times, which we're um, preaching on in this series. And it talks about how that she will be sent into the wilderness for 1260 days and be nourished and taken care of. I'm about to spend two weeks on that period of time. We call that the tribulation. Thirty-eight years after Jesus was rejected as the Messiah, Israel experienced another dispersion or a scattering. We read about this one in Ezekiel 36, verses 17 through 20. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in their land, for the idols which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. I talked about this last week in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, when Titus sent his army in and conquered Jerusalem. Less than 40 years after the Messiah was rejected. In AD 135, the Romans went in one more time. In AD 70, they killed 1.1 million Jews. In AD 135, they killed another 500,000. And the Jewish people were dispersed for nearly 1,900 years. And what happens is too often that we try to help God out. And during that 1,900 years, the church was birthed and began to grow. And then about 300 to 400 years into the existence of the church, we read these scriptures and we, well, that's not what God meant. And that God wasn't going to reestablish Israel. And the church was the replacement for Israel. So when you read these scriptures, it's talking about the church. Folks, that's heresy. That's not what God's word said. God's word was very plain and very clear. And when we read it, if we'll read it that way, we'll understand it appropriately. In 1917, there was what was called the Balfour Agreement. And that was the first chance that Israel, in November of 1917, uh, was brought back into their land. England, who was the world uh, controlling nation, they set that up. The Ottoman Empire had owned all of that area and they carved out this little swamp area that had no possibility for uh, being used for any kind of purpose. Mark Twain visited it and he said, that it was like the armpit of the earth. In 1941 through 1945, the Jewish Holocaust saw 6 million Jews killed in Germany. Zechariah 12.3, I read to you earlier, says, On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. Think about this. Every nation that came against Israel, Egypt, 
Egypt is no longer a world power and hasn't been since that time. Then the Assyrians came in. Most of you think of the, the nation of Syria and have no idea who this nation of the Assyrians who were the world conquerors at that time. Then came along this nation of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. To this day, they are not a world power. And then the Roman Empire came into existence and kept Israel under its thumb. And today it doesn't exist. And in the early 1900s, Germany tried to do the very same thing. And Germany is no longer a world power. Matter of fact, that the culmination of that Holocaust because of what had happened, isn't it interesting how that the very thing that Satan uses, God takes and turns? Joseph said that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And in 1948, because of the Holocaust, Israel was recognized as a state again. Leviticus 26, verses 27 through 35. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat of the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat of the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell the pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle it shall be appalled by it. And I will scatter you among the nations and will unsheathe the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation and your city shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate. See, God's going to get his word. He's going to get it in the nation of Israel. And my friends, he's going to get it in our lives too. And as long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. And I would encourage you that many of you are struggling with living out what God has challenged and put in your life. And, and you're hearing an example by the nation of Israel. Don't do it. We see them coming back together in Ezekiel 36, verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited. And waste places to be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of it being the desolation, it is the sight of all, of all who passed. They will say, the land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are all left around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Today, Israel is the number one exporter of fruit to Europe. It was a young Jewish man who developed drip irrigation that is now used around the world. Between 1901 and 2018, there were 900 Nobel Prizes awarded. 213, or 203 of those were awarded to those of Jewish descent. Think about this. The Jewish population is only 14.5 million. Less than 15. Less than point. 2% of the world's population, and yet they were awarded 23% of the Nobel Prizes. Contrast that with the Muslim population, which is 23% of the world, 
And in that same time frame, they've only had 12 Nobel Prizes. God's not done with Israel. There's a 70th week of Daniel, that is the tribulation. And let me read to you about it in Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 31. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is compassionate. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to you. If you look today at Israel, while she has become a nation and God has miraculously demonstrated his power in her life, Israel is still not a nation that is serving Christ. They're still looking for him. And through all of these blessings that she has experienced, yet she still doesn't see how that the Messiah was presented in AD 32 in Jerusalem. If you look at that Israel as the hour hand, the next thing I would tell you is that the city of Jerusalem is the minute hand on God's end time clock. Go back to 1000 BC and David conquered Jerusalem and he took that from the Jebusites. And it wasn't until 1967 after the dispersion in 445, 1967, a little over 50 years ago, that Jerusalem was recaptured in a six-day war. And what's interesting is Israel was surrounded by Egypt, by Syria, by other nations. She was a fledgling country. She was outnumbered almost 10 to 1. And yet in six days, she conquered every one of those militaries. In 2017, 50 years later, Jerusalem was recognized as a capital by the United States of America, the world leader at that time. Well, if Israel is the hour hand and Jerusalem is the minute hand and we see that it is getting close to midnight, the second hand in God's end time clock is the temple. And let me just give you a brief history of the temple. It started out with the tabernacle in the wilderness from the years 1440 B.C. until 960 B.C. when Jerusalem became the capital and David brought it into the city. The presence of God dwelt in that tabernacle. You may have heard about the children, how that they wandered around in the wilderness, and by day it was a cloud and by night it was a pillar of fire. And that represented the Holy of Holies and God himself here on earth. After conquering Jerusalem, uh, David was not allowed because of the, the blood that he had shed to build this temple. His son Solomon did in 960. That remained until 586 B.C. where it was destroyed. Then there was a second temple built uh, 70 years later by Cyrus. That was the one that was destroyed in eighty seventy. This is why there is so much consternation and fighting. Why? Because both the Islam and Israel claim Jerusalem as the holy city. And they claim the rights to be able to worship God there. 
And church, one day there will be a third temple built in Jerusalem. It's coming soon. Is it next year? I don't know. Join me tonight at 5 p.m. and I'll share with you some exciting information about the third temple. And while we hear the history of Israel, while we look quickly over uh, what happened in Jerusalem, I have one question for all of us here today. And that is, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before your God? Now, don't make the mistake that the children of Israel did as they came out of Egypt. And when God said to set aside every seventh year as a Sabbath and don't harvest, don't make that mistake and think that because you're here in church, because you're watching online, because you've prayed recently, that you're ready to stand before God. Matter of fact, most people probably believe with this statement that I've got time. The children of Israel experienced that for 490 years and then they ran out of time. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to 2 Peter in the third chapter. I'm going to read verse 9 to you. And one thing, I went through a lot of verses. Matter of fact, I covered one-fifth of the book's in this Bible, if you're here today, you don't own a copy of God's Word underneath the chairs in front of you. If you pull out one of those Bibles and you open it up, there's a message. And it says, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, this, make this one yours. Put your name in it. Take it home with you. Why we think that God's Word is that important. Second Peter Chapter 3 and verse 9 says these words, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Folks, that's a great verse, but what I need to do is show you the context of that verse. And so I'm going to start reading in 2 Peter 3, verses 1, until I get there. So this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. And I'm here to tell you today that I just reminded you of those commandments by those very same prophets, by the very same apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of the coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They fell into the trap that the Israelites were. Where is this judgment from God? It hasn't happened in the last 400 years, and it didn't happen for another 90 years. And there are Christians or folks who call themselves Christian today, and they're making that same mistake. And they will say in verse 4, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God. Verse 6, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Folks, you've got that timeline. It shows you that uh, in 4,000 or 4,100 B.C. was the creation. 
And then in 2452 BC, we believe is when the flood happened. This deluge that he is talking about here in 2 Peter 3. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away and with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. When I think about a thief in the night, I take myself back to Biloxi, Mississippi. I was starting up a pressure washing business, and sometimes, guys, I got a little lazy. And at the end of the day, I would back the trailer in and and not unload everything and secure it in a locked building, but I would leave it on the trailer. And one night, I remember, it was a Saturday night I had done this. I was tired. Sunday morning, I go out, and my vehicle is parked right in front of that trailer, and, and I noticed something was different about the trailer. All of my equipment was gone. Now, that trailer was parked right outside my bedroom window. And right underneath that bedroom window sat a German shepherd dog named Blitz. Blitz slept through the night. I slept through the night. But the thief didn't. And the reality is, folks, that many people are sleeping through the night. Many people are sleeping through their lives. God has, you you read the words there, he's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. You may be here today and, and you may be struggling with something that you're not giving back to God and you think that you've got time. You may be here today, and you may realize that, you know what? If you died this instant, you wouldn't be in heaven. You don't have a relationship with the Father. But you think that you have more time. And what you're missing is the message here in 2 Peter 3, 9, where he says, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance my message to you today is this don't do it today do it right now whatever God has put on your heart those of you that are seeking those of you that need to see God in your life don't wait another moment worship team if you'll come church if you will stand I don't know everyone, but I know this, that there's two types of people in this room right now. There is a group of people who, if they were to die, they would spend eternity in hell. For those of you, if you recognize that and you realize that you have never 
got in a relationship with Jesus Christ? It is very simple. Matter of fact, in the back of the seats, there's a little orange card called a decision card. And on the back, it covers what we call the ABCs. And the A is this, to admit that you are a sinner. Folks, every one of us, the chief of them all stands up here preaching to you. Every man, woman, and child is a sinner. And then the B stands for believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and that he died for sinners like me, like you. And then the C on the ABC says confess. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And what I would encourage you right now, I'm going to pray what we call a sinner's prayer. Folks, there is nothing special about this prayer. It's just words. But Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, when you believe in your heart, I would encourage you to join me in this prayer if you've never done it. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth and to die and pay for my sins of something I couldn't do. I confess that you are the creator, God. You are the sustainer. And God, I confess that I want you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. was one group there's a second group in here today you've prayed that prayer maybe months maybe years maybe decades ago but yet you find yourself today much like the children of Israel wondering where God is in your life wondering why he doesn't show himself strong on your behalf Second Peter 3, 9 goes to you as well. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient. Folks, we've got to be patient. Just like the nation of Israel. Over thousands of years. See, God's word will come to pass. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what it is in your life that's fallen apart. I don't, I, I, maybe I, don't, I can't understand that. But I know someone who does. I know someone who can. Church, we are so close to the return of Christ. What is the cost going to be? Who is going to be left behind because of our faithless witness? Let's fix that today. Let's all join me. I'm going to pray, and I just would ask that you pray right where you're at. And then when I'm finished, I'm going to stand over here. I'll be ready to pray with anyone else, and the worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. God, you have heard the prayers that have been being offered up, Lord, since the beginning of this service. And, and I hope, God, that you are hearing those prayers now. Lord, I... I come to you and I repent. God, help us do more for the greater Centralia area. 
Help us do more for those who walk through these doors to know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Help us to do more. God, help us to get rid of those things that weigh us down. The cares of this life. The wasting of our resources. God, help us here at Crossroads to follow you. God, I pray that that message is coming through loud and clear from everybody within the sound of my voice. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.